think I'm a fool? I didn't think so. I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before. I think you just said something. Think, 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 think. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, If I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman, And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows on the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sounds of the trumpet and does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be upon his own head. Isn't that a happy way to start? Go team right there, huh? Well, I am here to tell you that nothing will derail the work of God. How do I know that? Because I have a Bible, and what my Bible tells me is useful and productive, and I can learn from it, and that is what we are seeking to do, thinking through how to think in this world according to Scripture. When last we left, Ezekiel was doing his zeking. Well, I mean, I know that's not a term or a verb for that matter, but it's what Ezekiel's doing. He's doing his thing. He is proclaiming the word of God. He is demonstrating his work. He is pointing out that God has not forsaken his people in the midst of exile. Remember, Ezekiel goes into exile, what, around 600? What have we said, 597? So God has not forsaken. He has not forgotten. He is still accomplishing. So Fun times today. This will probably be a little shorter than normal. Of course, now that I've said that, I will filibuster and we'll be right there at normal time. But in how that is, I got to drink my coffee today. Sorry, it's freezing in here. And thanks to the fact that natural gas has doubled in price, our gas bill has also doubled in price. So I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be wise and conservatory and a good steward and just be cold while recording <laughs> because I don't want to turn the heat on in this in this room any more than I have to because it'll make it too expensive. Such fun. I know, nobody cares. So let's pick up here in chapter 33. Now, as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. Keep in mind the watchman's duty, not his job. His job is to warn and proclaim. But his duty, it's his fault if you don't get told when he knew and he didn't tell you. Likewise, it's your fault when the watchman tells you and you ignore his warning. So Ezekiel stands in that vein. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. In other words, just as we found out last week, we read this, the soul who sins will die. The man will not die because Ezekiel didn't tell him. The man will die because he is guilty before God. But Ezekiel will be guilty before God because he knew and didn't say anything. Always remember, God is building a people. A nation is what he has promised to build. He is dealing with individuals, but he is dealing with them by constructing a people. It is God who preserves and organizes and accomplishes. But if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. This also goes back to our foundations. To whom, Christian, are you accountable? And the answer is yes, God. No one else. No one else. You answer to God and God alone, which means, this is good news for you, by the way, 
This means that if I have been told by God that I should do something, and the world disagrees with that something, I honor and serve God and God alone, no one else. That's good news because it means that the world cannot take from me, the world cannot harm me, the world cannot steal anything that God has given, and as I am faithful, I am victorious. Plain and simple. There's there's no other place to stand. I answer to God. As long as I stand clear conscience, blameless before God, I stand righteous. So you can continue. Here's your warning. In the twelfth year of our exile, on the fifth of the tenth month, the refugees from Jerusalem came to me saying, the city has been taken. So it's 586. Nebuchadnezzar has gone in and destroyed the joint. Now the hand of the Lord had been upon me in the evening before the refugees came, and he opened my mouth at the time they came to me in the morning, so my mouth was opened and I was no longer speechless. By the way, don't gloss over that. They went into exile at 597. It's been a while. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, they who live in these waste places in the land of Israel are saying, Abraham was only one, yet he possessed the land. So to us who are many, the land has been given as a possession. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood in it. Lift up your eyes to your idols. As you shed blood, should you then possess the land? Notice the dichotomy that's being drawn. Notice the problem that Israel has. Well, Abraham was one man, and he possessed the land. First off, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. The first thing you could count as a possession for Abraham was a funeral plot. He buys the cave, what is it, Machpelah? He buys the cave to bury Sarah. It's the only thing he ever in his lifetime actually possesses in the land. That's it, nothing more. He didn't own her anything. Now, even that aside, assuming you think Abraham possessed the land as one man in his small little army, and you're going, well, we're a bunch of people, therefore we'll surely possess it. Who runs this place? Why did Abraham go down to that land? Why was Abraham given anything in that land? Why was Abraham successful in any shape, form, or fashion? Do you see the problem here? The Israelites don't account for their sin because they don't care. They think this is a simple matter of promises handed down familially generationally gifted, as if there is no covenant, there is no requirement. There's just nothing they should do except, you know, obtain their birthright. They are spoiled rich kids. I don't have to work for anything. I don't have to do anything. You just hand it to me. And I mean, every bad stereotype we have of rich kids, that's what the Israelites are. That's how they're acting. No concept that they stand before God. No concept that to him they are accountable. No concept that he has preserved their nation. No concept that he is their savior and judge. No concept that it is him who has been faithful down through the generations. No concept that it is him who has been accomplishing precisely all that he has promised to do and that he will bring them to the day of completion. No. They think that the world is accountable to them. That they are owed this, that they persevere, and that they accomplish, and that their righteousness is found in them and them alone. 
And this becomes the problem. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. This is chapter 34. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not shepherds feed the flock? It's a warning. How do the Israelites get these attitudes? How do they get this nitwittery run amok? The answer is, it descends from on high. Not as in it comes down in tablets from God, but it descends from their teachers. It rolls down from their institutions and their instruction. The people following after the wrong things end up in the wrong place. Now, who's accountable to that? Well, the people are. Notice this. The people have been judged. They have been carried into exile. They have been told they will not possess the land. But the shepherds bear a double warning because they know better and they lead the people astray. People are still responsible for where they went, but the shepherds are responsible for where they led as well. Now, do you want to talk about some fun in all this judgment? Hope. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep and will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture, and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to, to rest, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, bring back the scattered, bind up the broken and strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. In other words, it's almost like those who are poor in spirit will be comforted. Those who weep and mourn will rejoice. Those who trust in themselves will be cast down. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I wonder if we've seen anything like this anywhere in the Bible. I mean, I wonder where in the world did these apostles and this Messiah get these ideas? There is nothing new under the sun. The same message. You think one of these times I'm going to get the WD-40 for this chair. If you can't hear that, be glad. Be thankful. So this continues. You get the warnings against Mount Seir in chapter 35. And you also get the blessing on the mountains of Israel in chapter 36. Say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am am the Lord. When I prove myself holy among you in their sight, how, pray tell, will he do this? How will God vindicate himself and prove himself holy? I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. In other words, God will accomplish what he has decreed. God will be faithful unto his promises, faithful unto his people, and bring about all that he has promised to do. Always realize this. What we just read is what Israel was always supposed to do. They were supposed to take up their end of the covenant, 
bear the marks upon their soul in the marks of their flesh and circumcision, demonstrating, excuse me, a transformed heart living in submission to and trust in God and walking in obedience. When they did that, it would be countercultural to the nations around them. They would not be sacrificing their children and engaging in orgies to bring the rain. They would not be destroying their families and their crops for the sake of their gods. They would instead be uplifted, and their God would shepherd them and lead them and care for them as a testimony to his mercy, majesty, and might. Gotta love that alliteration right there. When they did this, it would be a testimony to the nations that their gods, small g, are idols, that they are the power of demons manifest, that they are nothing in this world to accomplish anything for humanity, and the nations would stream to Yahweh because of the testimony of his people, because of the work that he has done among them. But, as is the case with humanity everywhere at every time, When left to its own devices, we destroy everything. Not some of the things, all of the things. This is part of the lesson, because God is still going to have his testimony. He will not have it because the nations were obedient. And the nations will not be obedient because Israel was not obedient. Instead, he will have it because the nations will be obedient, because he will remake the nations. He will change the nations by changing the people in the nations. He will give them clean hearts based on his work. He will sprinkle them with clean water so that they will be washed of their iniquities. He will redeem them and justify them and empower them by his spirit to keep his commandments and to trust in him and him alone. In other words, what we could not do, God faithfully accomplishes. This is why understanding your foundations matter. It helps you understand the gospel presentation throughout the Old Testament, throughout the Scripture. It helps you see the consistent work of God and understand that the work he is doing is the work that he has done, and it is the work that he will complete. Nothing new under the sun, nothing changes. And if you have doubts about that, oh, instead of the black-eyed peas having a feeling, we got a vision. Chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. Now, you know this one. If you don't, you can go read it. I always tell you, I don't read everything. I read enough to get you interested and make sense of it, and then you can go read the rest for yourself. It's good for you. Read Ezekiel. It'll do you good. So what's going on here, though, is these bones are dead, obviously. Well, who can make them live? Well, God can, and he does that right before Ezekiel's eyes. And he said to me, Son of man, These bones that are now alive are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves, my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life, and I will place you on your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and done it, declares the Lord. In other words, who will redeem? God will redeem. Who will cleanse? God will cleanse. And my servant David will be king over them. And they will have one shepherd, 
and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them. Why? Because they'll have his spirit. They will be transformed. Old things will have passed away, and behold, new will come. They will no longer be what they were. They will be redeemed of God. And as the redeemed of God, they will be transformed, and they will be clean and righteous. They will be holy, seeking after his work. In other words, everything that they have not been, they will have answered to God for. And because he has preserved his people, he will judge their sin and redeem them because he is their savior. And he will be faithful to his promises and accomplish the sanctification that he has promised to bring them. This is the work throughout the ages. Just remember, I mean, if you're Ezekiel here, I mean, Ezekiel's not been a bad guy, and we've looked around. We've seen, you know, Elijah, despite his failings, he's been pretty decent, you know, by human standards, right? Isaiah, <clears throat> excuse me, and Jeremiah, and Habakkuk, and all of these guys, and you're like, there were actually some decent ones, of course. There's always 7,000 in Israel who have not bowed the knee to Baal. We're not talking about them. We're talking about the totality of the kingdom of God. We're talking about his work down through the ages. His looking upon a sinful people, which, by the way, that's everybody, and redeeming by his mercy for his glory into and unto his kingdom. So you get the Gog and Magog visions and the future judgments and future invasions and wars and rumors of wars and all that good stuff. I'm not worried about it. And neither should you be, and here's why. Thus says the Lord God, I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. Always remember this. I can't stress this enough. God's people are a joinable people. Always have been, going all the way back to the Exodus. Ec the Exodus. The Exodus. Going all the way back to the beginning. God's people have been a joinable people. God's people, Israel, has been a spiritual people, a transformed people, a redeemed people, not a natural people. There's nothing natural about the covenantal work of God. There's nothing natural about the things that he calls his people to. There's nothing natural about walking counterculturally to the world. They are a supernatural people, born of a supernatural work, then, now, and forevermore. So you get to the lovely end of Ezekiel, which again, I encourage you to read. In the 25th year of our exile, dude, it's been a while. It's 572, 573, somewhere in that ballpark. It's been a while. I mean, Persia's already starting to rattle the sabers of overthrowing the Babylonians and the Medes. I mean, Daniel has been in exile for 15 years at this point. And that's assuming Daniel goes out in 586. If you think Daniel went out in 605, by this point, Daniel's an old man. He's getting to be an old man. Daniel be, If Daniel leaves in the 605 exile, then at this point, Daniel's prof prophetic ministry is beginning. He is... In his, he'd be, well, I'm sorry, my brain doesn't want to work all of a sudden. If he goes into exile in 605, then he's 30 years in exile. Daniel's pushing 50. Ezekiel's been away from home for a quarter of his life, probably almost as long as he was in and around Jerusalem. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, 
in the 14th year after the city was taken. On the same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me there. Now, let's double check something real quick. You want to have some real fun? What would be the significance of that? Is there one? Just, you know, off chance, anybody doing their Bible research, anybody paying attention? Let me double check something real quick. So in the 10th of the month, I'm sorry, the beginning of the year on the 10th of the month, this month shall be a beginning of months to you. It is to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each to take a lamb. This is the beginning of Passover. This is when the lambs should be coming into the houses so that they can then prepare to kill them as a reminder of the deliverance of God. On that day, God comes to him. And in the visions of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. And on it to the south, there was a structure like a city. So he brought me there and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze with a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. The man said to me, son of man, See with your eyes, hear with your ears, and give attention to all that I am going to show you. For you have been brought here in order to show it to you. Declare to the house of Israel all that you see. Now what's he going to see? He's going to see the temple. And he's going to see it measured out. (coughs) Excuse me. He's going to see the inner sanctum. And they're going to measure it out. He's going to see the chambers and all the buildings. And then he's going to see the important part. Then he led me to the gate, the gate facing toward the east. And behold, the glory of the Lord, I'm sorry, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the way of the east. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. And the earth shone with his glory. And it was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when he came to destroy the city. And the visions were like the visions which I saw by the river Kabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate facing toward the east. And the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. Reminder on the day that the Lamb should come into the home is the day that God symbolizes going into the home of the Lord. The temple his dwelling place, which he has not forsaken, his dwelling place, which he has not forgotten, his people, whom he is still at work in. All of these things still going on, still being accomplished, still being brought forth. Why? Because God preserves his people. He is their savior, and when it comes to sin, he is the almighty judge. And because he is faithful, we can trust. And because he is faithful, He is faithful to accomplish all that he has promised, and that includes the redemption and perfection of his people. Ezekiel is a reminder of that because it is the vision that he has shown. It is the work that God has done and is continuing to do. By the way, Christian, nothing has changed. This is the work that Christ does. This is the continued work that God is accomplishing on behalf of his people. Always, always. He has not forgotten and he has not forsaken. He will build his kingdom. He will redeem his children no matter where they have gone, no matter how they have wandered, and no matter what they have done. His grace and mercy will abide for his people because he will accomplish all that he has promised for them. Israel is a living example of that. Christian, heed the warning. Bend the knee and trust that God is accomplishing all that he has promised and that God will will bring every good thing to pass.
So what have we learned here today, children? God is with his people, everywhere and at all times. God will deal with sin, yours, mine, and everybody else's. And God will redeem his kingdom. So there you go. Pay attention to your foundations. Pay attention to what you're reading in your Bible. And then do us all a favor. Read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye.